You're listening to the Empowered Divorce Podcast, where women support women who have experienced betrayal trauma and abuse and are now facing divorce. Here, you'll learn tools and concepts to help guide your journey from a place of empowerment by trusting yourself and becoming the chooser in your life. I'm your host, Amy Woolsey. Thanks for joining. Hello, hello, my amazing, beautiful listeners. Glad you are joining me. I am kicking off a series of episodes that are coming up that are more geared to helping you understand how to navigate and heal from and find empowerment through those destructive behaviors that you've experienced in your relationship and post-divorce, that abuse that is often escalated post-divorce when or when you decide to separate or when that marriage is ending. And that's what I want to talk about today is the fear around that. But I have some episodes coming up that address how because of such destructive behaviors and trauma that you've experienced, you have been out of whack with your wise femininity. And I have a two-part series with my new amazing friend and colleague, Hope Ray, who will be talking about that. And I'm going to really capitalize on how that specifically, her model specifically looks for women who are navigating divorce. But there's so much good information there. Women who've navigated their way out of IPV or intimate partner violence. So no matter what areas of those behaviors you can relate to, one is not worse than another. It's all destructive and it all has incredible impact on your entire central nervous system. So I want to help you learn what that looks like, those destructive behaviors, and offer tools to help you heal so that you can step into having an empowered divorce. So I want to ask you a question right now. Are you feeling an intense amount of fear right now in your journey? Perhaps you feel paralyzed by the fear of the unknown. And there are so many things to fear in this journey, right? Fear of how you will provide, fear if he doesn't pay child support, fear of how you will make it alone, fear of being alone, fear of the impact on your children that the divorce has or the destructive behaviors from your ex will have. Fear of working and now leaving your children. And that's just to name a few, right? So today I want to specifically talk about the fear that comes after the decision to divorce is made and you're moving forward with proceedings and that post-divorce fear due to the escalation in destructive and abusive behaviors and communication that are happening. And for those of you who are relating to that experience right now, or you're experiencing fear, that future fear, my two goals today in this episode is first to validate and hold very sacred space for that fear that is showing up. This is not an episode to tell you that you shouldn't feel fear. It's not an episode to tell you, hey, you need to have more positivity and faith. I will offer a few steps that you can take to slowly take steps out of that space, but only when you're ready. Because the truth is that I have found not only in my own journey, but, but working with numerous women and men around just fear is that there is a time that this serves you. Believe it or not, I know if you're like me and you grew up in a very religious, with a very religious background, fear was of the devil and faith is all that we should practice. But 
when you are navigating abuse, when that's been a part of your story and it is a current part of your experience because the abuse escalates post-divorce, then we want to be aware of the tiger behind the bush. When we still have not yet got our footing underneath us, that grounding where we have yet to cultivate sense of empowerment, where we've yet to really cultivate the certain part of healing in the journey that helps to dissipate that fear. Fearing what this person is threatening, where active threat is happening, I will never tell you to just have more faith or to move out of fear. Because right now, you need it. You need it to stay safe and to self-protect. And that's what I really want to address today. We'll talk about different types of fear. We'll talk about moving out of fear. And we'll talk about when fear doesn't serve you. But today, I really want to validate the space that you're, those of you who are in right now, where we want to accept and embrace this emotion right now. Because we want to see how it can serve us. And just that little shift right there. Just that shift of accepting this and not making yourself wrong is going to do more for you than you might realize. So that's kind of the goal of the episode today. Many of you who are divorced and still feeling fear about speaking your truth, the fear of sharing your story, where you fear living and creating the life that you want because there is still active abusive behaviors and communication happening and often escalating, like I mentioned. When you are afraid of that retaliation and when statements are made like, don't make me pull the trigger, even if that's a proverbial trigger, it is still a threat. And fear is going to get nice and comfy and stay very close when threats are still being made. Many of you are facing court hearings and mediation and trials. Some have been dragged out for years. And I can't yet find a word that describes the fear going into those proceedings when you are up against a narcissist, abuser, manipulator, someone who puts on a great show for everyone else, and you're afraid that they won't see through that facade. I mean, I didn't see through it for 18 years. So why would this judge, this lawyer, see right through it? Right? I mean, that makes total sense why you would fear especially when you've never been to court, when you don't know what that looks like. Your brain, your human brain is going to be the most creative during these times. It's going to come up with every possible scenario, scary scenario of how that whole court thing is going to go down to protect you because it thinks if you figure it all out, then it's not going to be as painful. I get it. It makes it makes sense. <laughs> Even though ultimately when, like I had a couple clients actually that just had court this week, but one of them in particular, we were able to, in our, in our individual sessions, play out those fears. We were able to walk through, okay, let's just lay it all out there. Let's see what your brain is offering here and see, so if that worst possible scenario actually does happen, what are our options? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And that's where doing those one-on-ones can really be beneficial. It helps her feel a little bit more prepared for all of those worst-case scenarios, even though she returned and reported afterwards that none of those worst-case scenarios actually happened. That does tend to be more often the situation. But 
my goodness, have I seen clients and friends who are still facing the unthinkable and where the court system is certainly not in favor of the abused woman and children, where it is corrupt and where your safety is at the mercy of the court. And unless I want to make this episode, mark this episode as explicit, I'm going to refrain from all the four letter words that I feel about that. When you're divorced and you're still experiencing a level of power over because those threats, perceived consequences and real consequences are showing up, how do you keep moving forward? How do you heal? I would love to give you a one, two, three checklist and say, here you go. And don't hate the messenger, but it just doesn't work that way. And of course, because everybody has a different dynamic, a different experience. We're all viewing even with different backgrounds and lenses. Everything that I'm sharing today is just going to be coming from a commonality that I see most often show up in these situations. There's a general pattern. And yet I have seen some situations where the ex takes the norm and stomps on it and says, let me show you something that no one will ever believe. It happens. It's sickening. And I am so sorry to those of you who are experiencing that circumstance. Empowerment and what you do have control over is still what we lean in and practice. And every time you do, you really are making a significant shift. I promise. Learning to recognize the patterns is key to your sanity. When your ex starts to date someone, is there a shift in their behavior? When they are alone, and not dating someone, is there a shift in their behavior? When you hold tight to a boundary, what is the pattern of their behavior? What are those tactics they use to get you to renege on your boundary? Noticing those things from a little bit of a distance, which is really hard to do. I want to acknowledge it's hard to do when you're feeling such intense paralyzing fear. And, and yet, if we can create a little bit of distance, and that just means like writing it on paper. Just writing on paper those patterns is what I'm talking about by creating a little bit of that distance so that when you look and read the patterns, it's on paper and not so intensely inside of you. Does that make sense? So that's just one way to, to start navigating this. But really, when we, when we start to recognize those patterns, know when the tiger is going to come out behind behind the bush, it helps your system to be a little bit more prepared. Does it get rid of the fear? No. And nor am I suggesting that. But this is a place to start. Let's talk a little bit about how this fear around any situation you're facing through divorce, post-divorce, how this show up. Because fear can manifest in various ways. There's definitely some patterns that I have noticed over the years. And of course, within myself and my own journey. The experiences can be deeply personal and unique to each individual. So I'm just going to share some common ones that, like, I, I know. First one is that hypervigilance. You might be overly alert and watchful, constantly anticipating those potential threats of danger. And when threats are being insinuated, even very covertly, whether that's by a look, a hand gesture, it can happen so subtly, but if you're used to that, right, if that's been a pattern in your relationship and it's showing up now, then of course your system is going to jump to high alert and be hyper vigilant and trying to be hyper attuned to when that actually, he might actually follow through with that threat. Even if he's never followed through, 
the threat and intimidation is abuse and it has a significant impact on you. The hypervigilance is the result of that ongoing fear that the abuser uses to escalate their tactics. And when that's been the pattern, then of course you're going to be hypervigilant. Honestly, with this one and knowing what I do about abusive behavior and the escalation of, of this after post-divorce, and that's why I said earlier, there's a reasonable time frame to be in this space of hypervigilance, to stay hyper-attuned. It's a safety mechanism, right? When you don't quite have enough of those patterns and new patterns post-divorce of those destructive behaviors down yet, then I personally want to validate that spending some time here consciously in this space can be really useful. But it's exhausting. It's not sustainable. And certainly we need to be extra disciplined in the self-care and the support when you are in this space. Okay, the next one that shows up is anxiety and panic attacks. These started for me in the marriage and I had no idea what a panic attack was. I drove myself to the hospital. The first one happened after he had thrown a laundry basket at me down the hall. My daughter saw it. It was pretty intense situation. He had left. I was left in the hall alone on the floor with my daughter over me. I couldn't move. I couldn't move my left arm. I couldn't move my body. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was having a heart attack. So I mustered up the strength because I didn't know where he was to drive myself to the hospital thinking that I was having a heart attack. It is so real. And if you have not experienced what that is, it's just hard to explain because after when you go to the hospital and they tell you, no, you're having anxiety, you feel dumb. At least I did. I felt dumb. I felt stupid. I felt like I just wasted a bunch of money and a bunch of people's time. And then I was just super angry. It is a real experience. Fear can lead to that heightened anxiety because you're holding your breath. You're tensing every part of your body. You're anticipating the tiger jumping out behind that bush and you don't know when it's coming. This is when you might notice yourself really, and this is a PTSD symptom, you're really sensitive to sound, to loud noises. Every bang, every door closing, just a little bit louder, the doorbell, whatever that is, to trigger this. Because you're so tensed all the time and you're holding your breath and you're anticipating, you're in that hypervigilance, then it is a recipe for panic attacks. Also, you might be struggling with racing thoughts. When your brain is racing through those scenarios, all of those fearful what-if future fear scenarios, then that has a visceral effect on your physiological body. And so it becomes more tense and more tense and more tense. And it's your, you're literally experiencing the fear of that perceived event in the present moment. I mean, honestly, that's what's happening. And that's why in general, you'll hear a lot of professionals talk about why fear isn't healthy. It isn't serving you. Why we want to move out of that. Okay. Yes. It makes sense when we're talking about the body and what fear does to the body. Why panic attacks are a symptom of this type of fear. Another way that this shows up is those flashbacks, those trauma triggers. How many of you are having nightmares? How many of you are having nightmares around past experiences and then they're just exacerbated, they're escalated, they're even more dramatic. And, and I don't say dramatic to, to minimize the experience at all. It's extremely more fearful. I would wake up in complete sweat 
because I had a nightmare about something that happened. And here's what's interesting. And a lot of you, I think, can resonate with this because a lot of our journeys through betrayal and then divorce is that you didn't get full disclosure. You don't have all the information. You don't know exactly what happened. So your human brain is still trying to find the pieces to, the, to those puzzles. So it's going to make it up. It's going to try and make up stories and scenarios to give you some sense of, hey, it's like, it's like it's saying, hey, here's a piece to the puzzle. It doesn't fit, right? Like it doesn't fit the puzzle, but your brain's going to offer you this piece to try and make it fit because that's what healing is. And that's one of the tragedies of this experience when you are divorcing and you never got the whole truth. You don't have full disclosure. And so trying to find closure without full disclosure is really, really difficult. In fact, that's why I'm in the middle of creating a course specifically called Finding Closure Without Disclosure. Follow me on social media in the show notes because I will put that up when the workshop is available. But that's what's happening right now with the flashbacks, with the intrusive thoughts, with the triggers, these nightmares, is your brain's trying to offer you a story. And it's going to offer you the worst case possible story. That's the human brain's job as a way to, hey, here's a piece. Here's a piece that might fit in that puzzle so that we can finally be at peace. Nope, doesn't fit. So it's going to keep finding them. Hopefully that makes sense. It, It might sound really crazy or confusing, but this is what your brain is designed to do. And at some point, we'll talk about how that actually is amazing and brilliant and we can learn to love that, but not today, okay? Another way that it might show up is the social isolation. You're going to be more reserved. You're going to withdraw from friends, family, social activities. You're going to avoid any potential threat. Now, your brain's going to determine unrealistically what potential threat might looks like right look like right now and that's okay for example all men might be a potential threat now realistically no there's really good men out there still but right now your brain is like no all men equals tiger death and we want to honor that space right now it is serving you believe it or not right now Also, that fear of being judged by others is also going to lead to that social isolation. Shame. Shame is going to show up, especially when the comparative brain is kicking in. You're looking at all these other happy couples and happy families and happy lives and happy, happy, happy. And you're going to feel guilt or shame and isolated. Like, why am I the only one that isn't having a happily ever after? And so that's going to help. That's going to cause you to retreat, to hide, to withdraw. A lot of people don't get what you're going through, and that's okay. Let's just honor where you're at and know that you don't have to stay here. You will move when you choose it. And it might not be right now. These impacts of intense fear when post-divorce abuse has escalated can be paralyzing and have an impact on how you parent and on just how you show up in life. For a long time, I felt like I couldn't really be me. I couldn't be authentic to what I've experienced. So there was still this level of vulnerability that I was hiding and a big part of me that I felt too scared to show people, to tell people my story. Because when I did share and he knew about it, I was verbally and emotionally attacked and physically intimidated. And that felt like death. When they are in your face, backing you into a corner, 
any kind of physical or emotional intimidation is still abusive behavior and it's scary. So I just want to offer you that beautiful first step of awareness and learn to recognize how these manifestations of fear are a normal response to the trauma and abuse. You are not crazy or weak. Also, why trying to navigate this on your own is near impossible. So seeking out support to better learn these tactics and how to safely manage them is just crucial. So why? Why does fear intensify after divorce? There's a couple common factors that play into this, and one of them is that loss of control. Abusers thrive on maintaining control over their victim. When a survivor of abuse decides to leave the relationship through divorce, the abuser then feels a significant loss of control in so many different ways. And so in response, they're going to escalate their tactics to regain some sense of that power and control that they need to usurp over you. And that's just going to lead to heightened fear for you, the survivor. Retaliation and revenge escalate. So your ex may view your decision to leave, your decision to, oh, I don't know, go to court and get what is rightfully and legally yours as a form of betrayal, believe it or not. And so this can trigger their feelings of anger and resentment and desire for revenge. And that's going to lead and resort to more escalated aggressive behaviors, threats, harassment, physical violence, so that you are punished for leaving, so that you are feeling punished for going after what is rightfully and legally yours. Some of you might feel like asking, oh, I don't know, for half of the house is asking too much. Some of you might feel like asking for alimony is too much or somehow you're being ridiculous to insist that you get child support. This is a common tactic, and I see this show up so much with my clients where they are feeling guilty for fighting for what is rightfully theirs because of the tactics that the abuser uses with revenge and retaliation punish you. Another reason why fear intensifies after divorce is the change in dynamics. Divorce in of itself signifies a shift, right? A shift in their relationship. And so they're going to see this as a challenge to their authority, to their dominance. And in order to reassert their power, then they're going to try new tactics. They're going to, I always call it, they're going to find the back door, right? They're always going to find a door. And anytime you leave a door open, they're going to shoot right through that door which is why boundaries is so important. We'll talk about that another time. You might be experiencing tactics that you've never seen before, that you could never possibly imagine this person was capable of. But that's what's happening, right? Is the dynamics have shifted. So now they have to shift their tactics and create an atmosphere of fear in a new way for you, the survivor. They know when you feel uncertainty. They know when you feel fear. They know when you're teetering that line of backing down and they're going to just push and push and push. Another way is the financial dependence. For those of you, and many of you are in this situation, I was, when you've been dependent on his role bringing in the finances because your equally important role has been in other areas of the relationship after divorce, when these financial challenges arise, there's a vulnerability there. There's a fear about the future. 
And they know that. And they're going to exploit that fear, again, to maintain and assert power and control. The other way that this shows up is stalking and surveillance. Abusers might resort to stalking, monitoring, and surveilling you post-divorce. They're going to attempt to maintain their constant presence in your life. Know full well that you have expressed for that presence to not be in your life. And this is going to make it absolutely difficult for you to move on. It's going to make it impossible to be, for you to feel a sense of safety. And that's the purpose. It's important to recognize that the fear that intensifies after divorce is a result of the abuser's actions and tactics. And you are not responsible for this. It's a consequence of their efforts to maintain control. The more you are informed, the more resources you can get your hands on and get more of that understanding of these different tactics, which go to the show notes. I'm going to put a link in there with one of my friends and colleagues, Sarah Morales, who has amazing information on gaslighting and other tactics. You, you are going to want to get this, but getting informed about this is going to be extremely crucial to helping you to move from fear and into empowerment. I had a client who was getting curious about her fears and could recognize that they were not necessarily grounded in facts, right? Those capital T truth facts, but certainly grounded in those past behaviors. And she was in the middle of the divorce proceedings. There were still enough abuse tactics being used. That fear was serving her at this point. She needed to watch her boundaries, hold them tight. She needed to watch and be in that, like I mentioned, that hypervigilant state and watch what she said to others. She needed to keep cameras rolling in her house. She needed to not text her children anything about their dad. All of that was being monitored and used to be weaponized and thrown back in her face or used in court to try to assert power and control. After some patterns, she was able to watch and adjust some boundaries, adjust her thinking around it. She started to practice letting go of, of fear in just very small tangible ways and trusting herself, taking her power back. And that didn't mean that she was happy hunky-dory. She was just back behind the wheel of the car and not fear. I want to go back a little bit because I was talking about stalking and, and being surveillanced. And I wasn't going to share, I don't know if I've shared this before. Sometimes I share this in private settings and I, I just lose track. But anyways, I I experienced this post-divorce where I was being stalked and surveillanced. I was so afraid of every little thing I did during and right after a divorce. I mean, where there is still a threat to your safety and children, then yeah, fear makes sense. But one particular time when there had been multiple visits to my door, leaving notes and items in what seemed to be an attempt to win me back, and they were delivered on his bike with a drop and dash experience. Notes like, we want our Amy back. Where did she go? Come back to us. We miss her or shit like that. It was happening all hours of day and night. And the doorbell was now a trigger. I had a panic attack when the doorbell went off because you never knew when he was going to be there. And because it was a drop and go experience, it just felt very, very unsettling, very, very unsafe. We're at the ballpark for my son's baseball game. And my youngest at the time ran after a foul ball 
And he came back and he said, mom, dad's hiding in the bushes and told me to, and he put his finger up to his lips and said, I swear in that moment, I think I crapped my pants. The fear shot right through me. I can still feel the shakes coming on just as I think about this experience during that time. Like I feel inside my body right now, like the trembling. When I recall the experience of being watched and you don't know, of being followed and you don't know where they are or when they're going to show up. I was finally able to obtain a restraining order to which, of course, he thought was uncalled for. And what in the world did he ever do to warrant that? Hmm. I don't know. That was scary for me to take that to the courts and to get that restraining order. I was terrified. I was terrified I wouldn't get it. I was terrified what he would think and do if I got it, what his family would think and do. But I needed safety. And it was a couple years of much needed safety and breathing and rest from that behavior. Even though he violated it a few times, I had to report it. That's a whole other story. But I did feel more empowered to my human rights, my right to not be stalked and surveillanced, my right to not be harassed, my right to feel safe when I pull into my garage and when the doorbell rings. The doorbell was a trigger for most of us for quite some time, fortunately. Now, that is a more extreme example of stepping into empowerment by getting that restraining order. And many of you might feel it's too extreme. I get it. I did when it was suggested to me to get it. I thought this is too extreme. But nothing is more important than your safety and your ability to live in your space without feeling threatened. That is your God-given human legal right. It took me a while to believe it. I had a client who created more safety and became empowered with the boundary for her ex that he doesn't come up to her porch when exchanging kids. She kept that space on her front porch safe, and she had a right to that. I had another client who meets in a neutral space to exchange children. Yes, it takes more planning and a little bit more time, but her mental and emotional safety is worth it. She feels more empowered and stronger and can also see that if she holds to that boundary, things may be harder with a pushback at first, but the less she absorbed that pushback and held her ground, the more free she felt to take care of herself in her healthy healing space. When there's been so many fear tactics used in marriage and then post-divorce, it really is critical for you to get that time to ground and center. So like I said, if this is a space that you need to be in right now in that hyper-attuned, hyper-vigilant state because there are active threats happening and you're still trying to navigate court proceedings or you're trying to navigate just how to move forward through that and you do see that this is serving you, it is still sucking the life out of you. It is not sustainable, as you know. So you've got to be way more intentional about your self-care and grounding, like way more intentional. The reality is fear does take you out of your agent power mode. Making decisions, seeing options, and truly assessing your situation are going to be impaired when you are coming from that place of fear. So this may require you to not make decisions in the moment right now. Having a lawyer to help you make those decisions, having someone that you trust that knows your wishes and know and cares for your well-being and your children, maybe have it relying on them to make decisions in this moment. But right now, 
when you're not in conscious choice because fear is in the driver's seat, probably not the time to make decisions. And personal boundaries are needed right now until you can get grounded and get clarity about the facts, about the reality and what those options are. And sometimes that mean, that means a phone call to your lawyer so that you can legally have someone to back you up. That might be like, hey, this is what I'm feeling threatened by and what he's saying. Is there any legal ground to that? And I get it. Lawyers charge every time you call. It was so worth every dime to have my lawyer as that third party where he only communicated through my lawyer. And I was dumbfounded at how many times I would get the email. I would get the threat. I knew my lawyer was getting that email. And I would just wait in anticipation, like waiting to, to have my lawyer call me and be like, hey, you can't do this. Or, hey, you really need to stop. Or, hey, you, right? And it did happen. And the deal was my lawyer wouldn't even bother contacting me, wasting my money if it was ridiculous threat or request. And the amount of ridiculous requests and threats was shocking. It was humbling because my dad was right. So many of those. But I mean, drama PTS brain didn't believe anybody at that moment except a lawyer. But it really was to learn just how much power and control he had over my mind in getting me to believe that what he said was true and the threats and the things that he could do were legal. So if you're in that position to get help with that extra lawyer fees, it really can be worth helping your central nervous system to calm down a bit. It really is that transition to being in the relationship with the abuser and someone who convinces you to believe their threats and lies. It's all you've known. And so now getting professional help and advice can really help set that straight. So support groups, mindfulness practice, coaching, therapy, self-care routines are all critical in calming the fear and practicing empowerment. Okay, so again, validate, validate, validate every single one of you who are listening to this and are assessing, yep, I am in a space where I need to feel this. I want to offer you four steps to help you transition from fear to empowerment. And even if you're not ready, I really encourage you to listen to these so that when, so that they're kind of playing soft, like the elevator music, right? It's just in the background. It's kind of annoying, but you hear it and, and you know, it's there and you know, it's available, but right now it's just a little annoying. Okay. So right now these four steps might be a little annoying, like the elevator music, but let's just listen to it on the ride. Okay. Because what this is going to do for you is that when you are ready, this information in the background, your brain will be able to pull from, right? You're gonna be like, oh yeah, I remember there's that one thing, okay? And you can go back and listen to this episode. But for those of you who are assessing yourself right now and feel like, you know what? I think I might be ready to just kind of wiggle my way into this a little bit. Let's see what that feels like. Then here's four things that you can start with. Number one is acknowledging and validating your emotions. Awareness and acceptance right here. Your emotions are valid. Fear is valid. And you can have fear and faith. We just want to see it and know that the fear part of you can be seen and heard. It needs to in order for it to move through you. So whatever limiting beliefs or gremlins that you have that tell you you're not enough, you're weak, you're less than, you're not righteous enough. If you have fear, we just got to kick it to the curb. Let's lovingly place those on a shelf for right now. 
And let's just look at the fear. Let's create a little bit of distance. So maybe that's writing it down. Maybe that's talking it out. Maybe that's getting coaching and do what I'll do with my clients. All right, let's hear it. Let's play out that whole entire fear and see it and look at it. Let's give it some space. It's okay to do that. I promise. This is definitely part of that acknowledging and validating your emotions. Okay, step two is reach out for support. Y'all, safety, support. Those two things come first. Think of it as phase one. If we do not have those two things in place, we cannot move to another phase. So support is key. This is where my divorce support group is so powerful. These women who are going through very hard, fearful things. They have a safe place to share. They get validated. They are heard. And they even get to hear how others in these situations have navigated it. And they even get to see them walk out on the other side of it. And they're not dead. So these support groups, wherever that is, you don't have to come to mind, even though I would love to have you find safe support. That is number two. Okay, number three, get educated and practice developing your agent power mode skill. If you haven't heard me use that term, that essentially is what I say where you are stepping into your that you have. It's called agency that gives you the ability to choose for yourself. So it's just fine. I just call it step into your agent power mode. The more you learn about these tactics and abuse and manipulation, you can better empower yourself to take back control before it is taken from you or you give it away. So learning those coping skills, triggers, and learning how to communicate boundaries in a safe and healthy way can really boost your confidence and your self-esteem here. And the last one is set very small achievable goals because when you break down your journey into very manageable steps, it leaves less room for those future fears. So it's what is the next wise step for me right now? And then celebrate that for yourself when you practice. Notice I didn't see achieve or perfect if we're just practicing. So if you practice communicating a boundary clearly and in a safe way for you, and then your fear part speaks up and you back down and give in or whatever, it's okay. We're going to practice again. My friend said to me the other day, I just want to know when what he does or doesn't do will stop affecting me so much and causing me so much anger. And here's the truth. As long as another human being is breaking your boundaries, behaving in destructive ways, and engaging in abusive behavior and communication, I hope you will always have an anger part there to warn you and let you know that this is not okay. It's not okay. So the answer to her question is never. And thank goodness. Part of me having an empowered divorce is acknowledging and validating and learning to love these parts that feel, that warn, that protect. I can acknowledge them and I can let them know very lovingly, hey, thanks for letting me know, but I am safe today. I do have boundaries and I can protect myself now. I acknowledge the anger, I validate it, and I practice using my agent power mode to stay in my control bubble. Then the anger can move through me. It is hard, it is tricky, but it is not impossible to ease the fear and have an empowered divorce because you are the chooser in your life and you can start choosing and practice easing the fear parts and choosing the empowered parts because you can. 
Take care, everybody. Hey, what are you doing Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Mountain Time? How about you join me and other amazing women who are practicing to choose an empowered divorce over and over and over in all different situations that come up through this journey? You're not alone. And this is a group dedicated to hold space for all your beautiful emotions, big and small, all of your situations. And these women are just so cool, so validating and so encouraging. I just love it. Safety and support are the two first steps healing. So come on over, join today, and I will see you next week.